Welcome to the Seaworth the Conservatives podcast. Today we're talking about working with front of house. I'm Jenny Mathiasen, an objects conservator based in Kilmarnockshire, and I'm Chloe Ramsey, an objects conservator based in Greater Manchester. Oh my God! Welcome back to the show, everyone. Welcome to season nine. I know, right? That's that's a strange feeling. Um, I hope everyone's been all right, uh, as all right as we all can be. We're still here. Hi, hi. Today we're, we're basically having another installment of our working with kind of uh, series that we've started. Let's call it a series. Sounds good. Yeah, yeah. Let's call it a series. Uh, it is because there's now more than one installment, which is important. Um, <laughs> Today we're going to talk about working with front of house, which I think is really exciting. And uh, to help us explore this topic, we've got a couple of awesome guest hosts with us today. Would you guys like to introduce yourselves? Sure. Uh, Hi, I'm Abby. Uh, I'm a duty manager at the Holborn Museum in Bath, and I'm also co-founder of Front of House Museums Network. Hello, my name is Will Tregaskis. I'm museum manager at the Cannon Valley Museum in Aberdeen, South Wales, and I'm also co-founder of Front of House and Museums. Yay! Welcome, guys! Yay! Brilliant! Hello! So excited to have you here. Thanks, guys. Yeah, long-time listener, first-time caller. (laughs) (laughs) Loving it. (laughs) Uh, So you guys founded this network. Do you want to tell us a bit more about the network? uh, We we founded it in summer summer of 2017. seems like ages ago now. It's it's not that Mm. long ago, really. And we, we were working together and we got chatting. We're both um, sort of coming out of of studying and wanting to make an impact. We're both of us working front of house. Both of us with you know, wanting looking for careers in museums, and we were like not as many people talking about front of house in the sectors mm. as you see elsewhere. There's no large public image of front of house, and who well, the voices for front of house. And we really wanted to be to not be the voices, but be part be part of a conversation. Yeah, and we also sort of noticed that because we were working in a large team at the time and Will and I were both quite career-focused young professionals and we sort of noticed that not everyone had the same access to information on training and things. We just took a particular interest in that. So in its very baby days, we just kind of started it as a like an information sharing network for front of house staff. And then we put it on Twitter and it just got this big kind of national lots of people joining in the conversation sort of thing and uh yeah the rest is kind of history really i mean i have to say that i think of the network as kind of a force of nature at this point right it's been really good at you you know kind of raising issues and campaigning for you know all sorts of things like just feeling more valued at work you know there was that uh, survey about how you know front of house members are often feeling really undervalued at work and stuff like that and the fact that you guys are kind of you know being people who can kind of raise those sorts of issues and talk about them and really like highlight them and join in conversations has been really fantastic to see and hugely important i would say so it's super cool to have you here guys thank you we're excited to be here (laughs) yeah what what is front of house because i just want to say that as a huge museum nerd right but as a baby (laughs) As a baby museum nerd, I didn't know what front of house was. It was this like label that was used in museums and I didn't really understand it as an outsider. And then whenever I talk to like my parents or other other people who aren't in the business, uh, then I usually go, you know, the people who are the face of the museum, the people who greet you, the people who you interact with, basically. Like the people you think of as the museum workers, they are the people. That's this group. I have to explain it 
because front of house is such a kind of internal use kind of label or at least that's how I felt or people don't necessarily know what it means automatically I guess I've slightly answered the question now about who these people <laughs> are but uh but it's broader than that you know it's so many different kinds of tasks that front of house does and I thought we could maybe unpick that a little bit just just in case there's anyone listening who's like actually I could do with a definition <laughs> it depends on the institution as well, doesn't it? Because I imagine you've both worked in a number of different roles or and had colleagues and friends who have worked in a number of different roles as well and had different responsibilities within those. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from I've worked in as a volunteer and as a paid member of staff in big, huge organisations with very clearly defined roles and then mm. sort of smaller, more independent museums where you get kind of a bit more of everything and you're sort of dipping into other departments so yeah it's quite fluid and loose really definitely I've had the same experience going from a site with over a million visitors a year to a site with 20 to 30,000 visitors a year there's a huge variety of front house experiences and I think our network we try and represent all the different voices but also the breadth I think mm-hmm. we often see see front of house not as a as like a box ticking exercise, but more of a like a spectrum of front of house roles. So some mm-hmm. roles are more public facing, some are less. But ultimately, museums are there for a public. Really, one of our early early sayings was museums are just self storage units for someone else's collection without front of house. I think that's a really good point. I mean, without that kind of enabling what what are you even looking at? You know, <laughs> what are you talking about with the kind of the spectrum of a job role i think that's a really important thing and it's something that i i mean definitely applies to conservatives as well we have a huge range of things but i think it's easy to think that you know a job role is one thing and that's never true of any institution or any any person it's always gonna it's always gonna be varied isn't it well conservatives have a a very definite sort of you go to university to do conservation and most any although we're trying we're trying not to do that now (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but let's face it, we're not there yet, are no. we? Um, and th- that will change in time, I imagine. But at the moment, if you've got anything remotely associated with conservation in your job title, you will probably have been selected for your job because you have you know, skills as well as degree in conservation. I would like to say, oh, associated experience, but I don't really feel like that's really realistic at the moment. But if front of house has many more different routes into it, then that's the part of the root of the variation. Do you think? Definitely, our our research showed in 2019 that increasingly, as you go down the career ladder, so looking at early museum professionals and like mid uh, people at the mid career, it was increasingly evident that more people are starting in front of house than in the mm. past. So we mentioned a bit about how front of house can be paid or voluntary for example what are your feelings on that because i know how we in conservation might feel about things that are not paid Mm -hmm. it's complicated isn't it because (laughs) i think we as a sector really do rely on volunteers and also i work quite closely with volunteers in my role and you can see lots of people joining volunteering for different reasons and predominantly it's to kind of give back to the community and so like the motivations are not necessarily career focused Mm. but uh, there is certainly a cohort of that that I work with as well so what we try to do as much as we can is sort of provide good and useful working experience 
I mean, this is just a massive topic, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's huge. <laughs> and it's, you know, definitely one that deserves its own, its own episode for sure. For my part, I've certainly had really positive volunteer experiences, but I would also say that I have had other volunteer I mean, I think I've volunteered maybe three or four times in my career, and it's just for purely trying to get that experience, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And I have definitely woken up on my days off just extremely resenting the fact that I've got to catch a bus and a train to get to some museum to get to touch an object, mm. where I have had full-time employment in a museum full of objects and, you know, no way of kind of breaking out of my role to get near them in my own paid professional work. That's some, certainly something Will and I have kind of talked about as a network as well, is just like how difficult it can be to get those experiences. But equally, I mean, I've also had really lovely, positive and wouldn't change them at all volunteer experiences also. It is, it's a really complex environment to be in. And like, I'm, I'm additionally a uh, steering crew member for a heritage volunteering group. And um, working with them, we've seen such a variety of reasons why people volunteer and the work in that side, rather than I, I, there's, so, there's a lot of problematic issues around people trying hang to volunteer to get jobs and stuff. But I think that that's one segment, and there's there are many other reasons why people volunteer in museums. And it, I think it's inherently part of the nature of museums being at that interface with the public. And as we're mm. becoming more community driven, more democratic that boundary can only blur in my view because of our conscious decision to try and make museums more relevant to communities. You're going to get people wanting to contribute more. Look at small museums across the country. They're going to be some of the most embedded museums in the country in those local communities, having a much more intrinsic relationship with groups of people. You've got the trustees who will be more hands-on. You've got volunteers who simply, without them, you wouldn't be able to get the museum open to a public because... Mm -hmm. The funding isn't there, They're, and in many ways, those volunteers ensure can retrospectively ensure staff are able to focus on securing future funding and developing the organisation rather than because they have the support of the community behind them. Mm. Yeah, that is the interesting thing about the the difference between the front of house and the collections back of house side of things, isn't it? That though it might be sort of there might be more. I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. Because if if a lot of what we're we're saying is that if front of house can act as a bridge towards getting careers in collections work, it seems that there are more there is more sort of museum willingness to spend money on in the cases where they can spend money to spend money on front of house, but in some cases also that as we've seen recently that front of house is the first to go and that 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 job is often either um, outsourced or it's. Um, zero hour or whatever that it's yeah. it's kind of the most vital in a way of getting the public in but also the the least valued yeah there's there's so many challenges at the moment and I think of any roles in the museum sector the ones which are perhaps most tied to the economic success of an organization mm. is going to be front of house retail yeah. shop any admission charging one those roles expand with the season contract it's easy mm. you don't tend to see that happening back else as much and that that's part of the whole um tourism leisure industry isn't it it's just mm, yeah. uh, a symptom of the wider stereo norms it's also i would say where you're more likely to see zero hour contracts short-term yeah. casual contracts as well mm. yeah for sure 
And it, it is one of those, you know, precarious things where it's volunteering is a good thing. And it's wonderful when people can volunteer, obviously. That's grand. But there's there's such a danger, you know, when it's when the budget purse shrinks significantly that people go, Yeah, but other people work with just volunteers, so we don't need to pay people. And like that's not okay. Like it's mm, yeah. yeah. These are your staff members. Treat them right, Jesus. Um Definitely. <laughs> how did you guys get started in front of house? Like how did this start? Um so mine started um I was finishing uni and I was looking for, I sent out my CV to loads of places looking for like a what summer. What did you study? Archaeology. Oh, same. So I was studying archaeology. <laughs> High five. And I was looking for work and to try and fund the master's. And I put out within a radius of where I lived. And I got my first job working in front of a house. I then sort of was doing that on a, a flexible contract while studying. And then I, I briefly tried to work as an archaeologist, realised that my knees couldn't take it. <laughs> And I think at the same time, I was realizing I actually really like working with people. And, and even I, I did a care of, I did care of collections studying right in that year. I was interested in that intangible relationship with, with the public and sort of exploring conservation of the intangible. So it really fitted well with front of house and how a public engage with collections and that side. So and I began to realize that my, my love of museums is not to do with the collection itself. It's to do with the people who engage with the collections. That is lovely. Yeah. Yeah, for me, I graduated doing history and um, had no idea what to do with my life and just kind of stumbled on a volunteering opportunity at the V&A. <laughs> I was living in Vista just outside of Oxford and I got a volunteering position at the Museum of Oxford and then got one at the V&A. I worked at, uh, in retail at the time. And then I uh, got my first paid position about six months later. And it's just great to talk to the public about anything that <laughs> they find interesting in their museum. You know, it's yeah. really hard to. I get such a great deal of job satisfaction out of those kind of small interactions, but frequent interactions on how someone's really enjoying a certain aspect of something, information sharing, <laughs> watching children kind of point at something and say oh wow that is so old <laughs> so it's a gratifying space to be yeah and and yeah just to like well say it, it it is a quite an intangible thing there's so much positive aspects of working in front of house that we also try to champion as a network as well yeah I mean there's certainly plenty to complain about but like that's the thing I think uh, so many people across the sector do agree like front of house is so valuable to the sector customer service and interfacing with the public it's such a skill you have to be so resilient and patient and understanding and compassionate that's really badass i like it <laughs> yeah that's a really good way of looking at it as well and I, I think i've i've worked in a number of different places so from the the smg level large museums and small smaller museum of kind of 30 members of staff including front of house who we'd in my current museum would call visitor services assistant, mm -hmm. which I like because it's it's the way of describing their roles to the visitors as being visitor focused rather than by comparison to back of house, if you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And there are so many different types of roles and types of ways of engaging with the public, and they are all specific skills. And the thing that uh, not to bang on too much about what I'm worried about or what what to complain about in terms of the the sort of transient nature 
nature, I suppose, in some ways of front of house positions. But if you don't have job security, you'll end up losing staff members who have become really, really good at talking to the audience that they have in their museum. Yeah. And that's a, one of the things that concerns me, that not only is it the the really nitty gritty of I have learnt everything about everything in this gallery, it's also this is how to engage with the public that we have here. And this is the kind of things that they find most interesting. And this is the kind of things that they like to, you know, learn about after this and, and everything like that. So I, I do feel like curatorial and like conservation by losing members of staff that are used to have used to being in that museum and with that collection is a huge loss. Oh, it definitely is. I remember somewhere I worked briefly, it was one of these things of, I feel like what you kind of overheard in the staff room was the kind of thing of, Oh, we love our front of house team because they, they really know what they're doing. But there was this trend of moving from permanent contracts and kind of facing people out as they retired, thus losing mm. that enormous amount of knowledge and the connection that, you know, these people had with the collection that they could then communicate to visitors and replacing these sort of permanent contracts with um, more temporary ones. And there was a real sense of grumbling about how like yeah and these young people coming in they don't know anything about it it's just a job to them and it was just like mm, there's a lot of lack of job security there though and like you wouldn't necessarily have that problem if you offered people uh, a slightly better deal um you know like it was just like so you've recognized that you're losing something valuable and you're sad about that but that didn't translate into how can we solve that it was just ah oh, these young people coming in and <laughs> taking these miserable jobs that we give them and like it was just like oh come on Could <laughs> with you... their avocados yeah. and their work ethic <laughs> exactly how dare they want to be paid etc uh, it was just like okay that maybe <laughs> it was just such a disconnect which was really funny mm -hmm. to me in a kind of a you know tragic comical you know like kind of a ha <laughs> isn't that funny i'm also on a zero contract by the way mm -hmm. um uh, yeah um but yeah there was this recognition that there is a fantastic amount of knowledge in front of house and that it's all about that connection and the enthusiasm that they can then transmit to people visiting the galleries for example and that that was being lost and the recognition that that was that was a sad thing again we're talking about the kind of interface here between like visitor and collection exactly i think that perfectly sums it up doesn't it is to a public in many respects is the person they envision when they think about a museum because that's the person they've talked to yeah and me and Abby often say when people are talking about this topic around um, how they treat, how you treat and value your staff is if your public values you've prescribed on like on like a published document, you've gone to conferences on it. If it's not seen in your front of house team, the values your organisation have don't exist to yeah. a view of the public in the galleries. Yeah. I remember this being a thing that in another place I, I, I used to work that we, through, through a force of nature, uh, head of visitor services, front of house was included in a lot more of the kind of boring meetings but the meetings they should really be at if you see what i mean where it's like you know people making decisions about what the collection looks like and what we're going to show next and that sort of thing and it's like yeah but you you want to have someone at the table who can you know tell you something about the people who are coming in or the people mm. who aren't coming in or um, just the same experience yeah and so it was yeah. such a good step to just include those voices at the table but it you know i, I feel like it, it took some real wrangling to get to that point which mm. I, I thought was so curious you know like isn't that a given <laughs> you know there should be a yeah. place for front of house at the table that's 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 so odd 
That's so funny. That's like our key complaint that we, uh, so for our last survey that we did in 2019, we had an additional comment section. And I'd say that's about easily one third of all of the negative feelings that people have working in front of house was the fact that they weren't allowed a seat at the table Mm. even for things that directly affected them yeah you know the amount of times I've been managing a queue or something like that and sort of head management have been in front of me discussing how best to rearrange the queue without asking me (laughs) (laughs) I'm right here nice nice or like, or sort of better signage so that people can find the toilets, you know, or find a certain gallery. They'll have that discussion right in front of you. And it will be anyone from like the marketing department to curatorial. But the people who directly interface with people not being able to find the toilets or not being able to find a gallery or not looking at a certain label, they could tell you in two minutes what the problem is. Well, exactly. And I mean, I think it's it's like at some point there was a conversation in, in one of these like kind of office scenarios where it's like, oh, well, whoever's in, these guys will probably know. And there was a discussion about, well, what are our most popular objects on display? And it's like, why would we know that? We sit up here. We don't <laughs> see that. Ask the people who would know. <laughs> but yeah, there was this, this strange assumption that because with the collections people, we would know that bit about the collection. And it's like, well, no, I mean, what, you know, what the collections officer can tell you is how many people email about that object. They can't, they can't tell you how many people stop and go, oh my God, it's a polar bear. You know, it's just... I often ask front of house whether there's any, they've spotted any problems in the galleries because they're the ones that are walking around them. And I can zoom through the galleries on a weekly check and look at everything, but I won't necessarily be able to spot whether something has shifted in a case or whether, you know. Well, yeah, exactly, right? There's any particular change or problem. Yeah. And I mean, I think that brings us quite neatly to like how how we how we as conservatives work with front of house and like what our experiences are of that. So, Chloe, that's yeah. a really great example of that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, the knowledge of front of house is is what nourishes me uh, when I work in a museum setting <laughs> yeah. because it's because there's there's nothing like having someone, you know, come and check something with you and just be like, look, I've seen this insect and I, I'm not really sure what it is. I thought you could come and have a look. And I'll be like, oh, I'm there. That worries me immensely. <laughs> and it's, if I'm lucky, it's just, oh, look, we have more ladybirds. That's fine. <laughs> and if I'm unlucky, it's like, that's a carpet beetle. That should not be there. Or this has shifted. Or I saw somebody a lot of times. I mean, this sounds alarming, but we've got quite a lot. My museum has a, a fair number of open display textiles <laughs> and a number of times I've you know someone will come into the studio and say I've just seen this I asked them to stop but I wondered if you wanted to have a look and just double check that nothing untoward has happened um and that's fantastic because that's they are the you know eyes and ears and usually it's it helps them to for me to be able to point out and say well this is to, what to look out for if you if you see anything that has that this has happened to but this is one of my kind of really sort of favorite topics about working with different colleagues because I've worked in, as I said before, the big London groups where you've got multiple different facets of a front of house team. Like in the Science Museum group, you've got explainers, visitor services and then estates. And then in my current role, all of those jobs are one, are, are one group of people who are probably about five people. 
that sort of changes the role so completely. So I'd be interested to hear, as well as talk about our own experiences of working with different front of house teams, but also what it's like being those different teams and working in different groups and getting new jobs in that sort of environment. So what are your favourite roles then that you take on as front of house? Do you work in or have you worked in very specific roles or do you and do you prefer working in the sort of all things kind of roles? Oh, yeah. Like, is it better to have a really broad one or a, well, better? Uh, do, do you like it better? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's objectively better. <laughs> For me, front of house it can give you an incredible insight into the reality of museums you see the daily operation of the museum you see why it's there why it exists i think and uh, i but also equally if you choose to work in a small museum at the start of your career or early on in your career you can really see every single element of of mm-hmm. a museum mm-hmm. museum so i've been at Canline museum for three years if my role was in a large large organization i don't know i think my front house element would be much smaller but because there's only equivalent to three full-time staff we do see the public on a lot. We engage with them. We are the first point of contact. But also I do a lot of the other elements which we would consider front of house, so like operations, room bookings, events, marketing, all those same things which are about engaging with public. We do all of them because we are a small organization and that's what we do. My earlier career would have been in that more public-facing role, that um, engagement solely split along so you've got operations on one side which is focusing on the infrastructure and security of the site then you've got the front of house of visitor services team focusing on the engagement with the public and it's not it's not it's not a clean cut line like operations and security are going to be good at talking to a public as well because they engage particularly like security they have to be a welcoming but also forceful presence depending on situation mm. so that's an incredible skill set in itself at a major attraction to both be constantly ensuring visitor safety but also not intimidating and making it a welcoming experience because often they have to have the same level of information about the museum on at the entrance as a person on the front entrance do you want to talk yeah. about your experiences abby yeah sure okay so full disclosure i actually have two jobs at the moment Ooh. um so my full-time position is as duty manager at the Holborn and um i have a casual contract uh with the roman baths as a visitor experience host oh host i like it (laughs) yeah they changed the title from uh visitor uh services assistant to visitor experience host because yeah that's the kind of um direction our yeah service is taking so yeah it's quite interesting yeah i do the kind of different operation sides of things at the holborn so i'm it can be a variety of everything from someone getting trapped in a lift, hopefully not too often, to, um, you know, something happening outside in the gardens, opening and closing the building or, you know, the kind of events back when we could have events <laughs> and interacting with the volunteers and making sure they're all supported in the day. But it's also quite nice to kind of take a little step back from the level of responsibility when I do go to the baths. Mm to kind of, well, pre the COVID times when we could deliver tours and um, have chats and uh, do all the fun elements of visitor engagement. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting kind of just 
very quickly talking about the different things to be called for in a house and like what the job roles can be called because <laughs> that is something that varies wildly which might be another reason why people might not be familiar with the term front of house sometimes because yeah. it's just you know it's the vista facing job role but it's called a million different things and i know that it changed several times just at the last museum i worked at it, it was all sorts of things from visitor services assistant to um heritage and retail assistant and like all sorts of things just to kind of gallery assistant i've had before. yeah yeah gallery attendant yeah there's so many and it's almost i, I would say it's one of the indicators of what that often what that organization's like their vision for what front of house does often is hinted in in the name of their staff or how the staff are divided it's an interesting clue right so we've kind of mentioned that Sometimes front of house helps us, you know, obviously our jobs as conservators, particularly with things like spotting potential damage or things that have shifted in the galleries or alerting us to insects. Super great to have that relationship, but it's quite a passive relationship. And it's one of my great regrets that I haven't had a more active relationship with front of house and the organizations I've been in. And, you know, that makes me kind of question, like, I wonder what that relationship would have looked like if I if I could have put more time into it or more effort into it. And I would be super curious to hear from, for example, listeners who've had a more active relationship with their front of house team, how you've engaged and collaborated, because I would love to hear about it. Uh, I've had loads of experiences actually working with front of house. Um, In my current museum, I think my current job is, I feel like a really nice sort of level of of working with front of house, because probably because they have such varied roles that they are sort of the, you know, they can basically help with anything is my attitude to to front of house. um, Versatile co-workers. Versatile co Yeah, exactly. Well, I think... There's different there's different people in the team and some of them are, you know, they've worked in, in as front of house for 10 years. They sort of the thing that they enjoy is the estate side of things. They manage the building. They, um, you know, make sure everything is clean and tidy. They know the stuff about the collection that they need to, but their main interest is in is being the host, essentially. And there are mem- other members of the team um, who are interested in the work because of the collection mm-hmm. um, and they're interested interested in the curatorial side of things and the object side of things. I think the first thing myself and my colleague wanted to do was um, when we wanted to have a you know better working relationship with front of house was to learn who was interested in what and who had a particular aptitude for what. And also <laughs> particularly I don't I don't want to sound like a you know it sounds sexist but sometimes I'm just not tall enough and I'm just not strong enough to do a thing and we've got really big heavy objects sometimes in the collection like four meter long giant cardboard tubes with textiles around them some you can't lift that on your own sometimes your colleague isn't there and sometimes there's a desk way above head height that you need somebody to lift down from a shelf for you so getting to know also the member of front of house who uh, climbs in his spare time and it's mega strong and we actually have worked um with a particular team um in the past couple of years and you know you people are always willing and happy and able to learn everything so i did object handling training with them obviously we work with conservation because that's sort of the you know the rules then it's our conservation's responsibility if something was to break but 
large object handling is really really useful to be able to um, say as a team of only two conservators to say we've got this stuff to do could you help us please and I did used to feel a little bit guilty about that because I thought I'm taking these people away from their roles and their jobs and I'm giving them essentially more responsibilities to do on a long list of responsibilities they've already got but then you know the, the particular team that we started working with was saying no 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 we love this stuff let us help, please. If there's anything you need us, you know, please, we want to, we want to help. This is really fun. That's so good. Um, you know, store work in particular. So it, it sort of became this kind of, this really nice working relationship of actually enabling us to do stuff in the store that had been sitting there for actual years, genuine, you know, a decade probably. It also feels a little bit nice to be able to give people interested in collections, collections handling experience and collections management experience as well so it was really nice that's my long rambling story of why I really like <laughs> no I love it <laughs> yeah, that's, great. that's, uh, that's such a nice example of like a, a symbiotic relationship mm. you know and that then goes on to feed that front of house persons not only their own like personal interests in the sector but also improves how they can deliver a front of house experience right if you've if you've physically handled an object you can describe that in a much different way to your visitors than just kind of looking at it as a passive thing mm. it's kind of active relationship that's exactly it and I think I'd, I'd like to say as well because I, I did harp on about the sort of physical ability to be able to do different jobs and that that's so that is only one part of it that I'd like to say also that it's the front of house members of staff in my museum that come in to see what's on the tables in my studio they see stuff through the that we've got a viewing window from one of the galleries um, and they're the ones that come in they see it through the window, they tell each other, and then they come in and talk to us about what the thing is. And often they'll spot things from the sort of object history side of things. They'll know stuff from their own knowledge and, and their own sort of under, their own you know knowledge of the collection, knowledge of history that I had no idea about. And by chatting with them about the object that I'm you know working on and should know everything about, I learn loads and I have a better understanding of the object myself. And it's really positive. Oh, that's so lovely. I love it that. It is lovely. I miss my team. I miss my museum. <laughs> wow. <laughs> It's just, it just highlights how how toxic siloing can be, isn't it? it mm. Why why silos shouldn't be allowed to exist in museums because of this exchange of knowledge of experiences is informing all of us. Front of house are the best people if you for any kind of public engagement because they do act on a daily basis. So exchanging the knowledge around collections and conservation with that public engagement, you've got a whole way to communicate why about collections about the material about why they need to be careful, why something is on display anymore, rather than a front of team member saying, I don't know why it's not here. Yeah, they can, yeah, they can exactly. immediately go with, it's because we are having to do this. It's amazing, amazing how those two sides, and I and again, it's all, for me, it links to Ryan, role of front of house in conservation as preserving that, um, that intangible element, the human element of, the, of an object, that link to a past is continuing through, through the people who interact with it. Can I ask you to explain the use of the term siloing? So siloing is when you have, I guess, specific groups of people in a situation mm -hmm. who work in a really narrow, defined mm -hmm. thing and don't interact with the other groups of silos, like a, like a grain silo. I guess you've got multiple yeah. grain silos and none of them interact with each other. 
But if you break those down, you've got suddenly you've got a pool of people who are, can interact freely, engage with different ideas and, and concepts, and ensure that everyone is staying up to date with the latest information across different groups, rather than holding it all within that silo and controlling who gets access to it. Siloing can often alienate; it can create toxic work environments because people are, are being it's us and them sort of scenarios. And quite frankly. It's not true. It shouldn't be us and them. It should be all of the museum museum workers together because we're all working for the same ultimate purpose in creating a public space for the public to engage in. Yeah, you're absolutely yeah, right. Yeah, mic drop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I think working behind the scenes, you can be a little bit disillusioned about how, let's say, free your workspace is. Like you, you kind of think that, oh, obviously everyone's getting the same amount of clout in these discussions and stuff. And it's like, well, that might not be true. You may actually want to talk to the people and see if they actually feel as empowered as you think they are. Because that it was a big eye-opener for me when someone went from a back-of-house role to a front-of-house role. And they said, well, Actually, it's a real upstairs downstairs vibe, and that's you know I was surprised. Ooh, good way of thinking about it, and it was just yes. like, oh shit, like that's not supposed to happen. But like, if that feeling is there, then it is happening, and you know you need to address that. Well, when you hear from us talk about the experiences, it, it it's sad to hear because there's no reason for it to be happening. Getting rid of your silos ultimately will make organizations more representative, more of the different voices in the organization. And it can only it only can create barriers to change really, which which need to happen. Yeah, absolutely. What what actions can we take? I know it's difficult, you know, conservation specifically, but there are conservation managers who listen, there are, you know, all sorts of, of um, people who could make change. Good question. Yeah, really good question. Well, I mean, that, that kind of segues us quite nicely to we've started a, the process of a charter for change. Oh, I don't know if you might, but we're working as a network in support with the Museums Association to create a charter for change, which is going to have actionable steps that um, museums can follow. But obviously, we need to decide what those steps are. <laughs> it's a work in progress <laughs> yeah keep an eye out for that but i'd say communication is pretty important you know just that pure example you were giving chloe about sort of chatting with your front of house mm. and, and giving them the training like i think it does come down to the workplace culture the culture at work needs to support active open communication between all parties so it can be difficult as the one individual to kind of create that space for breaking down silos or opening communication or information sharing or whatever it is yeah yeah it's, it's an exchange exchanging the skill set of front house for skill set of conservators there's many areas where front of house are specialists in there's many areas where conservators are special in exchanging those skill sets helps spread the knowledge and the skill sets so that both can be utilized in their own environments and and expand the capacity and ability to communicate with the public for example but also into showing conservation of, of our collections it's it's a win-win situation simply by just having a having a chat yeah absolutely absolutely and you're not going to annoy someone by including them more are you <laughs> What have your um, experiences as a community been, as community um, 
representatives being about the loss of jobs due to COVID? A tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is um, a front of house have led the recovery of the sector. They've, from the very point museums are closed, elements of front of house were preparing museums to reopen, mm. making plans, making sure museums actually were secure through that lockdown with security, with operations on site. Front of house have been intrinsic in understanding how public are behaved, the communication of new guidance, ensuring they make people feel safe. So to see front of house out in front of a lot of cuts initially, Mm-hmm. was horrible to see and it's so sad because so many of those front of house people are looking are wanting to communicate with the public and seeing those cuts and in many ways it's it's the economic reality is front of house often are i think are much more associated with the economy of museums exchange income generation that sort of thing and the front of house are going to be needed for recovery of a sector to build up that presence to keep museums sustainable i think front of house are going to be essential so it's a it's a quandary of if you cut staff, it's going to stretch a museum front of house team going forward. And how do you rebuild when you're starting from that, that artificial low? Mm, yeah, mm. Absolutely. Have you known friends and colleagues who have lost their jobs due to COVID? Many people who are still furloughed. Yeah. Right. People who, who, who've had varying levels of communication from their organisations. Many people feel, and, that, and that's an important, important factor, recognises the impact on front of house being furloughed. And I know for like through social media and that sort of thing, where redundancy taking place, the people who've been cut, and it's it's sad to see talk and talking to people about and hearing that terrible news and the impacts it has, and and some in some degrees you not all the cuts you will notice. You may it may be mm-hmm. that less seasonal people are recruited, less zero hour people are recruited. Those are the ones who like almost hidden figures because the contract hasn't been made redundant because it didn't exist yeah it really puts into perspective the um was it the tate in the first lockdown uh was it around june time i can't remember the exact numbers of actual you know contracts that they cut so front of house have had to i mean not only were they furloughed and have had redundancies and different things and had like very real demonstrations of how little they cared about from their own institution. I'd say like for those who obviously the experience has kind of varied for different um, places, but for the areas that I've worked in, we were busy queue managing, social distancing, wearing PPE all day, trying to manage people going to the toilets, you know, all different things. I don't think there's one single colleague that I've spoken to who hasn't had some level of negative conversation, possibly borderline oh abuse. Um, so, you know, it's. I think everyone across the sector has really suffered very stressful times. Mm. Uh, but as a network, we were kind of talking about this in the reopening conversation, sort of front of how should be prioritised in consideration of reopening factors and should be discussing this but how much discussion I saw actually happening I don't know on the other hand though uh, with all the difficulties it was also lovely to open the doors it was really nice to it was kind of a miracle that we could even do such a thing I mean old buildings are not designed with one-way systems in mind it's sort of a miracle that we could even do that in the first place. And initially it was lovely to open the front doors, but I think like for the public, I mean, for them, it must be really difficult too, 
because you're essentially just coming in and joining a queue and you're in a queue for a really long time and um, it's quite stop and start how much you can look at something you're kind of encouraged to continue moving I mean yeah lots of operational difficulty and kind of in general mental health difficulty redeployments as well Mm. oh crikey well if anyone wants to get in touch with their redeployment experiences we'd love to hear from you (laughs) Perfect. Hopefully now reopening is on the horizon again. Uh, I know that it varies a little bit across um, the different countries in the UK, for example, when things are likely to be be able to open again, I think. But uh, it is on the Recording horizon. Recording 16th of March, just saying. Yeah. <laughs> Seeing as stuff can change constantly and will. Yes. I think we all look forward to um, being back to being open and being able to welcome pe- people again. So that's, uh, that's something to look forward to. I say museums really have an opportunity to get themselves involved in the community this time around mm. having us almost like a blank slate to start again with yeah to to build a confidence of the community to come back out in public in museums which have proven to be quite covid safe environments done really well mm. museums have a chance to really be the point where people choose to come back into in and take part in wider society and engage in the public again yeah And like to circle back to volunteers in a way, one of the main reasons we see in our particular organisation, Volunteers Do Volunteer, is the social aspect of it. They make friends, they often meet up outside of the museum and that sort of thing. And yeah, to only allow sort of two people at a time to go on a tea break where normally they'd have like a room full of people having a conversation about whatever... But even to just allow that small element of it has been really beneficial, I think. Mm. But yeah, I think we're we're all looking forward to the day that COVID's under control and we can all sort of interact in sort of safety and peace. You know? Yeah, definitely. And that time will come, so it's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we just need to hang in there. Get your vaccines, everybody. Get yeah. your vaccines. <laughs> exactly. I thought we have already talked about the sort of things that bring us joy about what we do but what is the best thing about doing what you do like what is the best thing in your opinion about you know being in front of a house for me it's that connection and making a connection between the visitor and the collection the visitor and and the front of house members you knowing you've made you've told that story you've like their knowledge is grown for example or they see the museum in a different way it's the opportunity to really talk to a public and sort of share share the museum to them and seeing that connection that that joy that interest i love hearing people say you know people will say things like oh i've had the most fun that i've had in a really long time at things or or they'll really appreciate what you've just explained to them or you can have these very yeah nuanced conversations around a subject you can have them in kind of big subjects and small subjects. There's a point that I always like to make when I finish a tour, for example. At the Roman Bath, it's the spring of the water, where the water emerges. And we've got evidence that people were there from the Mesolithic era. And I like to say that, you know, we're standing exactly where someone from that point stood with their hopes, their dreams, their own human lived experience. And we're all part of that experience today. It's an awfully cheesy line, but I think it's true. It's like that amazing human connection 
of being at a site and sort of walking that same ground that was walked by people thousands of years ago. It's you never get tired or bored of that. That is great. Thank you so much for sharing that. Beautiful. I'd love to hear from other A front of house members and other conservatives about your favorite interactions and how you've uh, worked together. I would love to hear that. Do share with us on Twitter, etc. We'd love to hear from you. How do you guys keep in touch with you guys if they'd like to follow you, etc.? Um, so we're at FOH Museums on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have a blog, which you can find via the Twitter. We'll put links to all of those in the show notes, just in case anyone needs them. Wow, thank you guys so much for coming on today and sharing this with us. That was really great. Thank you, Angus. It's, it's been fun. As usual, we would love to hear your comments, questions or corrections. We've had a lot of wonderful emails and messages in between the seasons. Uh, Some great suggestions for future episodes, which we're hoping to take on board. If there's anything you'd like to say to us, get in touch. We are on a number of social media platforms and we genuinely love hearing from you. If you're enjoying The C Word and would like to support our work, then please consider becoming one of our patrons. For as little as $1 per month, you can help us keep our episodes online and more of them coming. Patreon helps us meet our regular costs for the show, and also to plan ahead so we know roughly how much of a monthly budget we've got. That's super helpful when you're trying to do something special like buy a better microphone or save up to go to a special event. Your support also helps keep us free of advertisements. In return, our supporters get access to our archive of extended episodes, which you can only access on our Patreon page. Yeah, for that $1 a month, you get a little extra audio enjoyment. We've crunched the numbers, and it's about 10% extra content on a regular basis. Well, it's not bad for less than a cup of coffee, eh? If supporting us sounds like something you'd like to do, then head over to patreon.com slash the C word and join our bunch of absolute champions. And this time we'd like to welcome our latest patrons, Laura and Christopher. Welcome guys, and thank you. Thanks for listening. We're The C Word, and you've been listening to Will Trigaskas, Abby Godfrey, Chloe Rumsey, and me, Jenna Mathiason. Join us next time for an episode about extreme storage. In the meantime, check out our website at theseaword.show, tweet us at theseawordpodcast, or simply email us on theseawordpodcast at gmail.com. The intro and outro music is Spring by Didi Music, used under a Creative Commons attribution license. Additional music and sound effects by Callum Robertson. This has been a Wooden Dice production. Sorry, I've got a work call coming in. This is really bad. Um, <laughs> as you can imagine, front of the house, you always got this coming in. So are you happy if I just step out momentarily? Yes, that's absolutely yeah, fine. We'll talk amongst us. Yes. Sorry. No, don't worry. Sorry. <laughs> that is what it's like that's being a man That's a great example, isn't it? Yeah, I know. Right? <laughs> I think that stays. <laughs> it's just like, well, you know what? That's important. <laughs>